0: Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I am a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, knowing how to respond to the question. Over the following weeks and months, I'm going to take a look at some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me To have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. So we can talk about it. it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about disclosures of childhood sexual abuse. There's currently a video going around on social media. I believe it's from Jamaica, but at least it's from the Caribbean. And in this very short video, there is a young child, I believe under the age of five, a female, who's sitting on another person's lap, which is another female. I'm not sure their relation, but the female asks leading questions. Now, leading questions is when you give the person the answer you want them to respond, so to speak. So in court, when you're trying to elicit the truth from a client, you will give them the opportunity to express themselves without you giving them any form of information in which they should respond in such a way. So for example, you would ask the client, what were you doing on Tuesday? That is not a leading question. However, if you ask the client, did you go shopping on Tuesday? That is leading the witness. In other words, your question contains the potential answer. Now, when I saw this video, number one, I don't typically watch videos that are being sent around or shared on social media or via WhatsApp, because quite often nowadays we have individuals who record students fighting, who will record themselves engaging in sexual activity as a minor, or even videos of children fighting with each other of a spouse or partner abusing physically or otherwise and recording that. In fact, I saw a video a year or so ago, of a lady in the Middle East whose hair was being chopped off in in huge chunks by, I believe, her husband, and he had thousands of views. And for me, I accidentally saw that, and in hindsight, I would not have pressed the button. I think it may have been on Facebook, and when I press the button, I'm referring to pressing the button on Facebook, scrolling up, and then that video simply starting without me consenting to viewing it. I personally have no intention or interest in watching videos of people abusing one another, engaging in sexual activity, which would be child porn if they are a minor. For me personally, I do not get my kicks from that. And in fact, many a time in a place like Trinidad and Tobago, some of the videos and pictures and imagery that being shared is actually illegal because sometimes the material, for example, the pictures of the Venezuelan girls who were found in a Chinese restaurant over a year ago now, these girls who were... In this restaurant, their photographs were somehow taken and leaked. I say leaked because the photographs of these children, their identity, should be hidden to protect these young girls. They were all under the age of 18 in in the photo that somebody sent me, unfortunately. And sometimes when it comes to WhatsApp, photos will automatically download on your phone without you even Consenting to do so. And so, of course, I have now got access and the ability to select what I choose to download and what I choose to view. Now, this video with this young girl, I presume she's under the age of five. She's sitting on a female's lap, and the female is asking her leading questions. She asked the child, for example, What happened to you? And then the child explained that she'd been touched sexually, obviously in a five year old or a three year old's language. And then the female asked her, to show her what was done and she asked that multiple times and the child was touching her private parts her own private parts and then the lady asked the child did he take off your clothes or did he take off his clothes something on the lines and I believe it's possible that the mother may have been filming this because there was a lady filming who actually became very irate and very agitated and started to shout and things there was a guy standing by the doorway a young guy in his early 20s I believe late teens The lady wearing, I think it was an orange shirt, with the child on her lap, she was asking leading questions, she was telling the child, look at me, look at me, and even the young guy was there, what I would say, intimidating the child, and the girl who's sitting on this lady's lap, the lady's like, look at me, look at me, and I felt that it was a very aggressive way to interview this child, it was a very inappropriate way, and in fact, I believe that the way in which this child was interviewed was not deemed suitable, For somebody of such a young age, in fact, even if you're an adult, you totally deserve somebody to communicate with you in a way that makes you feel cautioned in a way that makes you feel comfortable. And I say cautioned in other words. The person who's asking the questions should take care in the way in which they ask. And then on the back of that, I feel it's more important that the police are the one asking these questions. A psychologist, somebody who's a specialist in this area. Because truth be told, when this was taking place, I was concerned. And I say that because number one, it was not done in privacy. It was done openly. There was the young guy by the door frame. There was a lady who was filming. The lady who has the child on her lap, and I believe I saw another person sitting towards the door. There may have been other people in the room. That is seriously not appropriate. And also, from having been interviewed as a child by police, video interviewed in relation to the abuse that I experienced as a child, it was myself and a female police officer in a room that was meant to make me feel comfortable. It is a room that has toys. It is a room that is not as formal as your standard interview room. The camera, if I remember correctly, it was either on a tripod or it was up in the ceiling. But the point is, I was on a couch, I was made to feel comfortable. And I also know that when children are interviewed, rather than them actually displaying on their body what has happened to them, these children, in fact, usually use anatomical dolls. An anatomical doll is a doll that actually has private parts. And so the child can describe with the doll, rather than inflicting upon themselves what's just happened, which is probably very degrading. Because when the child was was touching her private parts, she was, in other words, simulating masturbation. She was simulating what had happened. And that is wholly inappropriate and wholly not suitable for a child to do at any time. But even in the presence of other individuals, including a male. Now I'm not gonna say that this male is a perpetrator whatsoever, but we know that many men, they get kicks from viewing pornography, from viewing females engagement in sexual activity with males, with other females, with themselves, and so when you consider that, having a child simulate on their own body what was done to them, whether the same day, same week, same month, is so inappropriate. I, the only reason I watched the video is because somebody had sent it to me, and this is a professional who works with children. And so they sent me the video, I opened it, and then I expressed to them exactly what I'm saying here today. Because for me personally, I just felt this video was wholly inappropriate. And the thing is, a person who has not been a victim survivor of abuse and had police involvement, a person who has never disclosed the abuse does not know the correct way in which this should be done. And so therefore, that lady in the orange shirt holding the child may have had the child's best interests at heart. She may have wanted to elicit the information immediately. The issue with this is also the fact that the nature of the questions will most likely cause issues if it ever gets to trial. Because it would be seen as tampering with the evidence, so to speak, tampering with the witness's evidence. Because when you do get a disclosure, it is important that you take it down verbatim. You do not ask leaving questions. Instead, you just ask things for clarity. Can you explain what you mean when he did this? Can you explain what you mean when you say these words? But don't say to the child, did he take off your clothes? Did he do this? That is not acceptable. That is not okay. And what was done there is actually more harmful than good. The thing is, we all may have good intention and there's absolutely nothing wrong with us having good and pure intention. But we have to think about the consequences of our actions. If we're not sure, there are many resources online. I had a look online for disclosures now the topic of disclosures is in my book can you keep a secret but if you have not purchased my book if you don't have access to it because it is not yet on Amazon you can simply Google disclosures what is a disclosure of abuse how best to handle it what is the correct way and I say it time and time again We need to allow the police to do their job, allow the police to do the investigating. At the end of the day, the police have a responsibility. That is to serve and to protect. We now intervene in the police's work with the best intentions, but without knowing we are jeopardizing a potential court case and we are actually harming that child. What we may not realize is that you are actually putting that child in a position to be triggered, to be re-victimized. Because as the Bible says, people perish for lack of knowledge. Without having knowledge, you're not just affecting and impacting a potential court case in the future, but you're also impacting that child. Can you imagine how humiliating it must be? Think about yourself, whether you're a young person or an adult, something has happened to you without your consent. And you're being questioned in a room with multiple people who are there to listen, who are there to give opinion. And from where I stood listening to this and seeing the way the young guy was talking to the girl, like this is a child. She's a baby, pretty much a baby. And saying, tell the truth, tell the truth. That isn't helpful. Do not demand that the child tells you the truth. Say to the child, I believe you. Let me know what happened to you. Because if you there... Attack the child, if I can use that word, and demand that they tell you the truth, then by using those words, it almost sounds as though you disbelieve them. And sadly, a lot of survivors of abuse, they are not believed. Now, that wasn't the case in my situation, but what I feel sometimes is that when abuse comes out, because quite often it's somebody that you know, the parent or caregiver is so taken aback, they're so shocked by the revelation. That it simply cannot be true. I don't believe they're accusing the child of lying. I think that they feel, they believe that the child has got it wrong. It didn't happen in that way. Now in certain situations the child may have misunderstood or misinterpreted but when it comes to a sexual touching of a child's private parts and the child is unclothed or the child has been declothed, that's a different situation. And if I can remember from the video I think the lady in the orange shirt, the one who's holding the child, she asked if the person had taken her to the toilet or something along those lines. The video was very short, maybe one or two minutes and I didn't fully understand what was the purpose of this. The child's identity was not hidden. That child may be go to preschool or nursery. That child will be easily identified by people in the community, in the family, in the neighborhood. That places the child more at risk of being sexually abused again. Yes, it's great that the child has disclosed the first time this has happened. We're assuming it's the first time. But that child is most likely to be re-victimized again. What a lot of people don't realize, when a child has been sexually abused... If they don't get the help, the healing, they are susceptible to being abused again and again and again. And when we understand that, then we know we have to safeguard and protect that child from being identified as a victim. Because at the end of the day, when a child has been victimized, they will develop certain signs and symptoms which help us to identify. This could be PTSD, low self-esteem, insomnia, over-sexualized behavior, a child who overdresses, underdresses, a child who discloses certain actions or inactions, a child who self-harms, who wets the bed. In other words, through direct actions or omissions, that child will display certain behaviors. And so for psychologists, they can identify that child has been through some form of trauma, an ace, adverse childhood experience. On the other hand, in the same way that a psychologist who specializes in this area would be able to identify, what about somebody who is a perpetrator? Think about it. I've said it many a time. There are women who date abusive men over and over again. It is not because they like bad guys or they like bad men. When people say that women like to be abused, I believe that this is a complete lie and it's a complete deception No person, unless they're engaging in consensual BDSM, no person enjoys being brutalized, beaten. What about even the emotional abuse they go through? When you think about BDSM, I don't know too much about it, but I presume that sometimes language is used, but I'm going to presume the language that is used is sexualized language. It may even be degrading, but I don't think it's going to be degrading to the point or to the degree that it's going to have a severe mental impact on that female in that instance. But on the other hand, if it is a continuous pattern of this degrading derogatory language being used consistently, then I would say it moves away from consensual BDSM and is actually moving into emotional or psychological abuse. Because what may start off as lovable, as casual, as enjoyable... Can sometimes be taken to the next level. And so when we think about asphyxiation in sex and then when this level is increased where it goes beyond the point where the other person is enjoying it, where they lose consciousness for an extended duration, this is a concern. Now we understand that we live in a depraved world where anything goes. We know about individuals engaging in sex with animals, with robots, with children, with toddlers, with babies. This is disturbing and When I look on Facebook, there are individuals, often female, who become so incensed and so outraged by what they see and by what they hear. But the reality is that this is going on a lot closer to home. Being incensed and outraged serves its purpose. If you're willing to do something, to advocate, if you're willing to educate and empower, the awareness raising, in my opinion, is insufficient. Maybe the purpose of this video of this Caribbean family, this Caribbean child is to raise awareness. A lot of people use the term raise awareness. In my opinion, awareness is knowing and doing nothing. Often we know about what is going on in our neighborhood, we know about what's going on in a country, in an environment, in a culture. I'm aware that there is child marriage in India. When you've made that statement, I'm aware, you're saying what you know, but there is no action, it is inaction. You're stating what you believe is fact, but you're not doing anything with the knowledge. Instead, it could be deemed more as gossip, slandering, backbiting, speaking ill of a country or community, spreading information with no apparent purpose. If you are sharing information to educate people and to empower them to protect and safeguard people around them, then that makes sense. And even in this video, I believe that the person, the perpetrator's name, the alleged perpetrator, I believe his name was being used. What purpose does this serve? Because we can have vigilantes who will believe that the appropriate means, the appropriate response to this allegation of sexual abuse is to take this guy out. That does not solve the problem of child sexual abuse because this person most likely has not done it before. He was very brazen to do it to this child. My feelings on the matter is that he did not groom her. I don't know the full circumstance, but I'm believing he didn't groom her. Because when you're groomed or you have Stockholm Syndrome, you're less likely to speak out against your perpetrator. The fact he did not have the patience to groom her when in relation to the victim, that is perfect to the victim because it means she's in a position to speak out. When a child has been groomed, they're often groomed into silence, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Not every child is threatened into silence, but what often happens when a child is groomed, they have this gag. It's often an invisible gag where they're not able to speak out because of fear, shame, embarrassment, whatever it may be. In this instance, whether the child was groomed or not, the grooming, if it happened, was insufficient to keep her quiet, to keep her silenced. And that is brilliant. And I'm going to go one step further and assume that maybe even this child's mother or parents have had a conversation with her and said, if anybody touches your private parts, tell us immediately. Because quite often when a child discloses, they disclose at school to a friend, to somebody they feel comfortable to. There are many occasions when they disclose to parents, but when parents are very strict and don't spare the rod, in other words, use corporal punishment, that child may develop fear. In my experience, I did tell my mother at four years of age that my stepfather was tick- tickling me and then his hand slipped. I tried to disclose to my step-grandfather and to my aunt. However, I could not disclose to my grandmother because of fear. She was very, very strict. My mother was strict also, but my grandmother, because of her countenance and her personality, there was simply no way I would have been able to disclose to her. I'm not going to say she would have responded in the same way as this lady here in this video, the lady with the orange shirt holding the child. But I believe my grandmother would not have had the sensitivity to have known how to deal with this. I'm not suggesting you need to be a trained therapist or psychologist, far from it. I'm just saying you need to understand that there is a way in which to communicate to a child to get them to feel comfortable, to open up sufficiently so that you can ascertain whether a crime has indeed been committed and then go on to alert the authorities. The issue I have with this video is this video will most likely go viral with its disclosure, but where are the police? Will police intervention even take place? Because in the Caribbean and African community, what often happens when a disclosure is made, the individual who hears the disclosure goes to the accused and says, I heard you have abused your niece, nephew, stepdaughter, granddaughter, which is ineffective because realistically speaking, they will deny it. Think about a child. Now, a child is young and supposedly innocent. Let's think of a child under the age of 10. When you ask your child of five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine and a half, you ask them, did you do your homework? 99.9% of the time, they are going to respond, yes, they're going to lie. When you ask a child, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine and a half, did you hit your brother or sister? They will most likely say, no, I didn't. Even if the sibling has a mark on their face, there is a A red patch where the child has been hit if the child is of a white skin or complexion or there is a scratch mark or something, the child will most likely deny it. In other words, if you want to elicit an honest response, if you want to elicit the truth, you've got to sound like you know. You cannot ask a yes or no question. Instead, you've got to give the information to the person. In other words, let's say it's a leading question because you want a truthful response. So if I want to know if somebody has taken my belongings, I will not say, did you take my laptop? Did you eat my ice cream? I will say, why did you take my laptop? Why did you eat my ice cream? Because when you've asked the question in such a way, you're leading the witness, so to speak, you're leading that person to admit to something that they have done. If they've not done it, then hopefully they will say, I did not eat your ice cream, I did not take your laptop. So if you see what I've done there, it is a leading question, but for the purpose of eliciting an honest response, did you take my laptop? Even if you did and the evidence is right there, often it is our immediate response and reaction to deny, to self-preserve and to protect. It doesn't mean to say that person is a prolific liar. Even let's imagine you're out with friends. Let's make it more simplistic. And when you're out with friends, they ask you, are you hungry? I'm going to buy a pizza, which we can share. Now, you know you're not hungry, but you know from what they've expressed that they will buy a pizza. They will pay for the pizza and the pizza will be shareable. And so therefore, even though you're not hungry, you would like to have pizza. And so you lie and say, yes, you're hungry. So when you think about it, when we as believers say we do not lie or or make brazen statements, we keep all the commandments. Is that really true? Because I know for myself, there are many a time when a person will ask me a very innocent question and because I want to benefit from whatever they've said, I may say, yes, I'm hungry when in fact I'm full up. Or I might say, yes, I'd like to sleep over when in fact I really don't. I want to go home. Sometimes it's because we're saving face, because we want to protect another person. Other times it's because we know we truly want to benefit from whatever it is they're offering us. And so I want you to consider if you want to get the honest response, change the dynamics of how you ask the question. Consider the environment, consider your tone of voice, considering how comfortable you're making that person feel. That child's body language was not okay under any circumstances. When I watched the video, it was quite concerning because the way in which she responded was so inappropriate. Her response was one of somebody who was ashamed, of somebody who maybe felt blame, who felt guilt. This is not okay. That child is a victim. Any victim, regardless of any culpability in a situation, any victim survivor should not be made to feel that way. Just because somebody has the intention to help does not mean that that victim survivor should suffer as a consequence, should suffer in response to that person's intervention. In fact, the child should be left feeling empowered, should be left feeling encouraged, the child should be left feeling, it is not my fault, I have done the right thing. For all we know, the child will respond negatively. The child may recant their disclosure or even, God forbid, if this child is abused again in the future, which is highly likely for the reasons I've expressed earlier, that child may be afraid to disclose. It is very, very difficult to talk about abuse. It is very difficult. There are individuals who may have the confidence and the courage to speak about very freely, often because they've had the healing or because they have the support. But for the majority of victims, it is very difficult. And even if they do disclose, they talk about it very matter of fact, as though it is somebody else they're talking about. It's almost so there's some disassociation involved there. A child may say, I was raped when I was six, and they state it very matter of fact, as though they're separating the incident from themselves. This child has disclosed. Will she disclose if anything happens again with the perpetrator? I don't know. I don't feel high hope because of how she was made to feel. I'm recording this for what purpose? So you can get hits and likes on Facebook? This is so inappropriate. And as I said, I believe it is the Caribbean. I believe it's Jamaica irrespective of where it is, what is the social services like in that country? Will they see this video? Is somebody going to share the video with somebody in a position of authority? Not with friends, not with social workers in another country, but with individuals who have the ability and the capacity to intervene directly and to protect this child so that she can get the help, the healing, and so she can be safeguarded from this ever happening again. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that the information has been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education. And when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes we can all learn from one another and this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life but also that of the people around you you can find all my contact details on my website changingcases.org that's changing org. remember to share this podcast with friends and family members there are victims and survivors in your world you just don't know it but if we can all be educated, then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode. Yeah, we can talk about it, yeah. So we can talk about it, talk about it, yeah. Let's talk about it, yeah.